Hello and welcome to our What Is Possible podcast series. I'm your host, Nazreen Vizram, Head of Charities at Barclays Corporate Banking. So today we're going to focus on what is possible for the hospitality and leisure sector as it continues to reopen. After a long 16 months or so, light is appearing at the end of the tunnel for one of the hardest hit industries during the COVID-19 pandemic. All restrictions have now been lifted here in England, with 19th of July giving businesses a welcome boost. But of course, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales continue to ease their rules at a slightly slower pace. Today, as the sector looks forward to a return to full capacity and a brighter future, I'll be discussing the challenges and opportunities with Barclays Corporate Head of Hospitality and Leisure, Mike Saul. So thank you for joining me today, Mike. Thanks, Naz. It's a pleasure. Brilliant. So let's kick off, Mike. The pandemic has really tested the mettle of the hospitality and leisure sector, with some subsectors affected more than others. But we've seen some genuinely inspiring adaptation and innovation during this challenging time. Mike, what can we learn from the past year and how can we take those lessons into the future of the industry? Yeah, thanks. And the first thing I would say is that the so-called Freedom Day, the shackles really are off now. And it's a case of actually just getting back to a sustainable sense of normality. What we've got to remember is, is that this sector, which is a broad sector and it's all discretionary spend, has been largely shut for much of the time. And, and every business that we've got in the land has had to do a brand new business plan and really approach their businesses in a different way. So you're right in saying that there's been a lot of adaptation and innovation. Operators have really stepped up to the mark. And, and what we have seen also in parallel with that is the fact that the government, DCMS in particular, have put a big effort into trying to sustain this sector and lots of support has been forthcoming, even things around the reduced VAT rates. It's been a very significant recognition of what is a very, very valuable sector to the UK economy and employing over 3 million people, um, clearly vitally important for them and the families and the supply lines that move into that industry. So it has been a difficult time and we are now looking forward to really just getting some certainty and consumer confidence back because that has been one of the things that has um, suffered dramatically. Absolutely agree, Mike. You hit the nail on the head when you say that the sector is so diverse. So when we look at hospitality and leisure, there's so many different types of business within the, the sector itself. And it is, as you say, absolutely linked to consumer discretionary spend. And we've seen you know, people really keen to get back to some kind of normality. We saw with Eat Out to Help Out last year that customers were definitely eager to return to pubs and restaurants. But what about the other areas of hospitality and leisure? For example, can the new James Bond movie save the cinemas? Um, will people be going back to the gym? What are your views on those different sectors? Certainly the James Bond movies have traditionally had a very good feel-good factor. and They've definitely driven volumes to people attending cinemas. But even looking at the cinema market as an example, we are significantly lower attendance levels in the US. But it is expected that films like the James Bond movie that is due out in the autumn and other current box office films that are on show are going to dramatically impact people's desire to hopefully do other things rather than just go to the cinema and come back home again. So there's a real joined upness, if that is such a word, <laughs> within the sectors of leisure. So we are seeing people combine activity and monitor what people do. So I think the desire for the 24-7 market for leisure is developing more and more, particularly in the younger age groups where the pandemic has offered up lots of different solutions. And that idea of being 24-7 is something that is really quite appealing. So 
Where we can, we're encouraging um, businesses to try and join forces either with their neighbours or particularly look at things that they can do themselves. So going back to the cinemas for a second, we've seen examples of cinemas offering things like meals during a film, um, other forms of leisure like bowling alleys. I think we will see more and more inventiveness coming through because what it's done is really just reset exactly where people want to spend their leisure time and people can choose. So social media has been very, very important in terms of how a business gets its message across. And certainly the more savvy operators have really clued into using digitization and data more generally really to help them. The Eat Out to Help Out scheme last year really did give that necessary boost. It wasn't necessarily the financial, but I think it was the fact that it was helping restore confidence in a really efficient way. And it led to a lot of people coming out of their comfort zone and getting back into old habits because the new habits under lockdown had obviously firmly established themselves. People had a pent-up desire to pursue leisure activity. And it was the industry really looking to try and demonstrate how they could work safely with their customers and really make the, the whole thing an experience. So people will be getting back to full-time leisure activities. And, and the gym's another example where you can combine home gym and destination gym. If you can combine the two, then I think that's probably part of the secret of success. Absolutely agree, Mike. I think you talk about leisure as an experience. I think, you know, certainly from my perspective, not being able to do the things that I enjoy the most, such as going out for a meal or going to the cinema, as you say, or visiting one of my favourite attractions, you really realise how leisure plays such a big part of all our lives. Um, You touched on collaboration there, those collaborations between cinemas and restaurants, for example, are fantastic. And I think it's really important that the sector really supports each other, isn't it, as it goes forward and takes those offers to the consumers and encourages more spend, I guess. Absolutely right. I mean, this this is very much driven by the consumer and that propensity to consume in these different areas. We, we've also got to think about um, tourism in the more general sense, because it's vitally important to the economy. Because if you think about every tourist, either a day trip or a, a short break or even a long stay, it does generate its own multiplier effect insofar as the supply industries to those leisure businesses as well. So, I mean, the government are right to recognise and identify hospitality and leisure as one of the key sectors, not least the well-being and wellness aspect of it, but the fact that it does multiply itself out. And there will be aspects of leisure that will grow more quickly than others. Um, but the point is, is that if operators can continue to build out and understand what their customers want, then there is a lot of market opportunity coming through because what the pandemic has shown is that people do have a desire and they put up a scale, leisure time, wellness and well-being. So there are a whole bunch of things that um, operators can latch onto, particularly if they're offering something that the public are wanting. And it's, it's defined by geography, age, different economic factors, as well as kind of useful market research about what is positioned next to other operatives. Again, so many things you brought out there. I just want to go back to the cinema point, though. I'm really looking forward to seeing Black Widow, by the way. I'm a huge Marvel fan and uh, I've not had the opportunity. I guess my next question for you is, do you think there are areas of hospitality and leisure that stand to gain more quickly than others? Yeah, I think there are. If I just concentrate, for example, on the staycation market, we could split the conversation into two, which is city centre or rural so I think certainly we're seeing um, a significant growth in destination-led 
holiday resorts. And so that could be a combination of pubs, restaurants, hotels, bed and breakfasts. Um, and I think in the city centres, that is still slower to recover. And we would expect it to be a slow recovery whilst people work through what their working patterns are going to be. So we sort of have the daytime, every day of the week type spend on leisure. And then we have the destination-led journey to for short breaks or for um, theme parks, that type of thing. So within that sector, there's definitely pent-up demand and inquiring mind, I suppose, from consumers looking at things. It could be cultural, it could be high adrenaline. It isn't just about eating and drinking. It is also actually knowing a bit more about, for example, the source of the foods, the environmental attitude of the operators that they're um, spending time with. Um, But I think family time has become that much more important, and in particular, the extended family. So there is a real growth trying to do with those particular demand elements that's starting to come through probably more on a permanent basis than we would have thought a couple of years ago. Absolutely. I think family time, again, another great example of what we've missed during the last 12 to 15 months and actually valuing that time and doing something together. And again, the hospitality and leisure sector really plays into that. So, Mike, I don't know what your plans are this year for the summer. I'm certainly doing a staycation, heading off to Bournemouth for a few days to do the Jurassic Coast and then off to the west coast of Scotland And I guess that's something else that we've seen a lot of people staying in the UK rather than traveling abroad. But now that travel restrictions are easing, what are your views on tourism? First of all, I hope you have a a great holiday. You've got a great selection of uh, choices there. Tourism is absolutely essential to the UK economy. I mean, it's, it's a wide consideration, tea shops to theme parks, canals to museums, and, and, and everybody is kind of looking at different destinations is in probably a slightly different way. There's no two families or no two offers that are exactly the same. What we were seeing pre-pandemic was a lot of younger people were deliberately choosing to holiday in the UK. And we saw this a couple of years ago, and it was bringing back childhood memories. And and unfortunately, that gave the UK a bit of a head start when it came to the domestic tourism, which is the first part of the uh, equation. But there was a government, DCMS issued a paper on the 11th of June this year about the um, tourism recovery plan. It is £74 billion worth of direct economic impact. And so innovation and resilience are kind of key. And they're very keen that we become the country of choice. That includes things like accessibility as well. So almost any new business has got to build out its accessibility plans. You would need to think about different distribution channels, like, for example, a serving hatch in a restaurant for couriers to pick up the food and things. But look, I mean, tourism is massive, 41 million visits in 2019. And we were the fifth largest worldwide country for the level of tourism spending from the inbound tourists. So the things that were put on people's list for choosing the UK were things like cultural attractions, variety of places, and somewhere new. They were the top three things that were listed as as coming over here. And then the other side of tourism is the business side, because we have a number of trade events and exhibitions, and the multiplier effect there is absolutely huge, because you imagine the trade sales that take place at these exhibitions, as well as the downtime, which is the leisure side of it, and the multiplier effect of people spending money whilst they're over here on business trips. So I think the answer to the question is tourism, domestic and inbound, the sooner that can get back to normal, the sooner the UK will positively benefit from it. Do you think the optimism you talked about pervades the industry? Is the reopening going to be a renaissance or a return to the old normal? It is the million dollar question. I think probably what we have seen is 
we've kind of explored a few angles around if people put their prices up, would people still spend the money? And the answer broadly is yes, they would if they feel that they're getting value for money and that it does kind of tick the box with regard to what they want from that particular venue. So maybe the spa market, maybe the golf course, maybe the, the bowling alley. Certainly there has been a desire from industry to invest in properties, invest in systems, just to make that customer experience that much more joined up and, and much more pleasurable. So providing the customer satisfaction is there, I suspect that people now value with real optimism that leisure experience. In most of the business plans that I've seen, the businesses are now coming to market with a much cleaner model, much more efficient, much more user-friendly. You can have the personal service or the digital service. So I think there is more opportunity now available. And what we did see actually was a real acceleration of IT development. We probably saw about five years work condensed into about six months as people rethought exactly what their offer was and how they were going to interact with their clients. Because I think a lot of this is about understanding what your client is. And then you can, as a business, seriously set about trying to keep a very strong filter around exactly what it is you're trying to deliver rather than provide a hit and miss type service. I do think the optimism will continue. Yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear it, Mike. You've touched on digitization so many times during this conversation. And I think that's probably one of the key positives of the pandemic, where we've seen not just this sector, but all sectors really accelerate their digital strategy. And I think in terms of consumer experience, that's really important that it's seamless, that it's easy to pay, that it's you know easy to interact with. But do you think that plays into all age groups across the market? Because some age groups are still learning about digital and interacting with digital. Do you see some clients balancing both? I'm thinking of people like my mum here, Mike, who still, you know, when when go to a restaurant, won't download a QR code and order off the menu. Yeah, and look, it's, it's a really valid point. And you've got to be really, really conscious of your audience. There's also people with specific accessibility type needs as well. So um, the clever operator is going to recognize that. I mean, there are certain operators out there that want a completely cashless model. Broadly speaking, that works, but you've got to be able to offer help for anybody that needs it. So the good thing about data typically, and this is classic in the um, hotel industry, you book your accommodation through an online travel agent the operators will tell you that they love to capture your data so that if they can lure you back the second time, they don't have to pay the OTA commission. So data is incredibly powerful in terms of remarketing, and particularly if you can use that data proactively. So this is not the payment side now. This is how do we make um, an offer for you or your family if they know certain things about you, like it was your anniversary or you've got some particular desire to see some new tourist attraction, whatever it might be. If you can get that personal service from the operator using the data that they've been able to gather, that, that, you know, which you've authorized, then it can be used positively. So, But I do accept there are challenges and we need to be flexible in terms of the wider age ranges and, um, and capabilities. I totally agree. And I think that whole birthday concept, anniversary concept is brilliant because it's a great way of retaining and, and building that client base. You touched on the environmental piece, which, you know, again, is something we've seen a real focus on throughout the lockdown and as we head towards, you know, a brighter future. So as a head of charities here at Barclays, I'm well aware of how the pandemic has changed companies' perceptions of their purpose and responsibilities in the world. Is that something you've witnessed too across the sector? There's probably three aspects to this. Um, 
personal environment and social. So when it comes to ESG, I have heard within the industry people using an expression ESHG with the H being health. Okay, interesting. Or health and well-being, um, because that has become very important as well as environmental aspects. And then when it comes to the environment more specifically, we are starting to see every business reconsider exactly how it approaches and publicly declares its um, ESG policy. And in fact, Within the trade press in the last couple of weeks, there has been a green finance framework um, released by a particular German bank to buy an Australian hotel. And that's all about them adopting qualitative and quantitative environmental criteria, which links into their financial covenants. So essentially, if they do the right thing and it ticks the box from an environmental perspective, they also get a benefit by way of incentives from the bank that's lending them money. But it's also about the operating criteria as well. It could be around sort of design and development ideas and how they run processes around sustainably produced um, food or energy energy efficient systems like smart lights or air conditioning, or um, you know, it could even be the housekeeping and um, eco-friendly laundry, that type of thing. So we are going to see a lot, lot more of it in that respect. But I mean, in terms of the social side of it, I think people do like these stories to be made available. And I think that we're going to see quite a shift really in people's attitude to what people's responsibilities and purposes. Absolutely. We recently held an event on the power of collaboration in the charity sector. And again, there has been so many great collaborations throughout this pandemic where we've seen, you know, restaurants donate food, hotels provide space for homeless people, sports grounds support with the pandemic response. I mean, it's been really amazing to see. And I think for me, that's something that needs to sustain post, I say post this pandemic, we're not quite out of it, but as we move forward. um, And I think it's really important that collaboration continues. Yeah. Because I think it's great for the for, for both sectors to come together, but actually in terms of how their brand, their reputation, but also how they create scale and then support different groups that need support in, in a different way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, some of the work that has gone in across the industry really to help people through the dark times has been so well received. And I think that that won't be forgotten. So giving back, if you like, say to the the health service and other essential services and um the industry have been very, very public about taking on some of those areas and been hugely commendable for the attitude and, and approach they've taken. So long may it continue. Definitely. And I think it's really great in terms of attracting a new demographic to their particular, you know, restaurant or attraction or whatever it may be, because we know that particularly our younger age group, they're really passionate about social impact, for example. And so they they associate with brands that deliver that kind of social impact. It's a real win-win in my mind. I think we could talk about this all day, couldn't we, Mike? (laughs) It's really great to see there's so many examples of collaboration and how the sector has responded despite the challenges it faces itself. So finally, looking at our recent bouncing back report, and it shares some strategies for success and learnings that firms in the sector might want to carry forward as restrictions continue to ease and as we move forward. Can you share one or two tips for businesses in the sector? What would be your kind of top two tips? Yeah, I think almost certainly the thing that is going to shape every business going forward is knowing your own customer, the the power of digital. The two things are relevant. One is about knowing exactly what your customer makeup is and and what they want from your business and, and really owning that client and giving them a great experience. Because 
they will remember the good things, um, but the bad things will stand out even more. So the service levels have to be excellent. So that's the first point around digital understanding exactly what the client wants. And we, we do have very, very different demands and people have prized possessions that are very different according to our age range. So businesses have to be alert to that. And then the other side of digital is is the much more efficient streamlining of ordering and managing the business, whether it's training, whether it's health and safety. Lots of systems are in place now that, as I said at the beginning, a lot of people have changed their business plans and their business models operandi. And they have taken on board a lot of these labor-saving enhancements really to improve efficiency and to have a much stronger pulse for them to monitor. So that would be my first tip about embracing digital change, um, whether it's for customers or for systems. And I suppose the other thing that we've seen a lot of really is about being open-minded, and that's open-minded towards your crew, your staff, or also your customers. Um, We've seen a few things coming out where flexible working has been offered or different working conditions have been offered. I mean, bearing in mind, a lot of these um, businesses, the staff have to be present. It's not the same as working from home. And so where there are things where well-being has been thought about, the employer and employee working together, that loyalty has really been earned both ways around. It's, It's a bit like you can't buy respect, you've got to earn it. That definitely seems to be coming out. So where there is a strong team ethos between team members, that really does come across in terms of the perception that customers receive when they're receiving that leisure service, whatever that might be. So I think the second thing is around just having that very open-minded and consultative type approach to the way you run your business and work with your staff. It's still a business, but there's ways of bringing people along in a consultative way and where you can get the best out of everybody. Thanks, Mike. That's great advice. And we know the power of digital mentioned earlier that that's probably one thing that has accelerated across all sectors, you know, and and something that's at the heart of all our conversations with clients, regardless of what business they run. You shared some really interesting insights today. And I think for me, picking up on that ESHG, I've never heard of the H in ESHG, but actually health and well-being are probably, again, two different areas we've really focused on during this pandemic. We talked about digitization, collaboration, being open-minded and innovation. So, Mike, you've shared so much with us today. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Thanks, Nurse. Um, For people who want to know more, the Bouncing Back report is a really interesting read. If you'd like to learn more about the report, please go to www.barclayscorporate.com forward slash bouncing back. <laughs>